Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance and save by bundling auto and home. He's like, uh, Jay, Jay. This is Jay Stenhouse, the, like the president of media. <laughs> whoa, 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 what's that throwing? <laughs> There'll be a poet who comes on this podcast eventually. So, the, if you the, want poetry, we need to talk about Kiermaier's eyes. Have you seen him? Edwin Diaz was throwing an intentional walk, and he threw a pitch faster—an intentional walk that was faster than any pitch Jared Weaver threw last year. And welcome once again to episode number 49 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we will happily accept Aaron Sanchez's raise. I am Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Josh Housem. Josh, how you doing? I'm good, and you? Uh, good. I just need the forwarding banking info so that the Jays can just drop that little, little bit of cash that they're obviously not going to spend on Aaron Sanchez. Just use PayPal. PayPal, yeah. PayPal's good. I got an email. Uh... We'll get to the details on that in a little bit because there's another contract to talk about with everybody's favorite manager, Gibby. Uh, Josh Donaldson is on the field. Travis, much to the conflict with things we've said the past two weeks, sorry about that, we don't have our crystal ball out, is possibly back. Uh, Francisco Liriano still firing away. Left field, still a big mess. And camp is a little less rowdy. We have an interview with Danny Russell. We have your questions. And we're going to maybe kibitz about the WBC. But we began with Aaron Sanchez and his agent, Scott Boris. Not happy. Not happy indeed. Would you like to run us through (laughs) why he's not? Well, okay. Is Scott Boris ever happy? Probably when A-Rod signed his two 10-year deal. He was pretty happy with those. Um yeah, I, I think that in this case, it was a little different. So Aaron Sanchez, being a pre-arbitration player, technically the Blue Jays could sign him for whatever they want. They have a system they use, which rewards players based on service time and games played. It has nothing to do with performance. So it was a modest raise. Sanchez thought he deserved more, so he didn't take it. And the Jays renewed him at the league minimum, which is their prerogative. Yes. And Boras was unhappy about this. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Mike Trout in his pre-arb year was renewed at at or near league minimum. Am I not correct in that? You're not, actually. He got 900000 And uh, Chris Bryant just got over a million. But that's the team's prerogative. Yeah. And, you know, this is the way the Jays do it. And Scott Boras knows it's the way the Jays do it. So when he's he's coming out and he's saying, <laughs> you know... It's like, this is, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. It's like, he's going to not be respected in the locker room or, or he won't be comfortable in the locker room. Uh, it's, it's all nonsense. I mean, and he knows it's nonsense. Right? He, he's he doing this because he wants, yeah, he just wants the system to change. That's all it is. He knows that there's nothing that's going to happen. And he knows that Aaron Sanchez is fine. It's like, oh no, he lost it on 60,000 bucks. I mean, it's like, he's going to make that up and then some. The conceit from Mr. Boris that that somehow a team that opts to follow the rules um, is, is offending his player or is, you know, is, is causing his player undue 
duress just drives me crazy because now people in fairness he did could uh, over and over over again reiterates like the team is allowed to do this they have the right to do this he was just saying that it was just disappointing because players like to feel that they're on the level of their peers and all that so it was he wasn't necessarily blaming the blue jays so much as expressing disappointment with it I just feel like that negotiation happened, right? That That's the CBA. You yep. can jump up and down and everything else, but if you want to opt out of that, then you opt out of some of the protections that the CBA offers you. So <laughs> there's a reason yeah. you collectively bargain, and it's not so that you can have your agent go and shoot his mouth off whenever, you know, whenever the rules that are in place don't, you know, favor you. It's like, well... You're not complaining when players get to their sixth year, Scott, and uh, and they sign a four hundred million dollar contract or something. You know, don't no, complain. he just complains about the uh, qualifying offer. But uh, <laughs> every time it's something. So yeah. there's something else that needs to be discussed here, though, and it's this belief that somehow this is going to hurt the Blue Jays with Sanchez going forward, and I just can't see that being any farther from the truth. Oh, I agree. This is not the Dylan Batanzas situation. No, I mean, they didn't insult him and say he wasn't worth the money and blah, blah, blah. You know, Rennie Levine being just a moron. It was just, this is how we do things. This is what we will give you. If you don't take it, we will give you the minimum. It's your choice. He chose to take the minimum, essentially, which, fine. It's like they they talked to him. It was clear. It wasn't like a punitive measure. This was the negotiation. It's like Donaldson. When, When he went through arbitration the first time with the Blue Jays and lost. People are like, oh, it's gonna bother him. No, things are fine. He loves it here. So, and he went out and grabbed an MVP award as as though. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't matter. Clearly affected his performance as well. Imagine he would have <laughs> had two MVPs that season. Had no, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, this is this is just bookkeeping, really, when it compares to actual arbitration and uh, even and especially free agent negotiations. This is. It's just accounting. The other contract we had to talk about was John Gibbons, who had that magical automatically renewing unless they did something about a contract policy stopped last year, is said to have negotiated a new two-year contract. Yeah, Contract extension. Uh, yeah, sorry. New yeah. two-year contract so- extension. Yeah, Shai Rupi, Shai, Shai Rupi, Shai Davidi is Shai reporting. <laughs> he's very repetitive. Uh, he's reporting that the deal is done. John Heyman was out earlier saying it's like it was very close. But yeah, it's a two-year extension with a club option for a third year. So 2018, 19, and possibly 2020. And now it's good. I mean, say what you will about John Givens, and I've said enough about his weird handling of platoon splits and all that. He does seem to be the right guy for this kind of team. Kind of like how Cito Gaston was the right guy for the Blue Jays in the early 90s. Like, the let the guys play guy. And they love it. And it's stability. So I, I can't see this anything but a good thing. Well, he certainly seems to be relaxed. Uh, and this is a team <laughs> with a lot of veterans. And I think, in general, the laid-back manager does better you know, when the team is sort of policing itself or or motivating itself, right? Uh, and as evidence of his being relaxed, we bring the the scrum. I put that in quotes because it didn't really end up being much of a scrum that happened earlier this week when some reporters attempted to get Devin Travis' schedule and 
Josh Donaldson's schedule from the manager, and he ended up just calling them over. Uh, and asking them directly and having them participate because that's a lot easier, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's so Josh John Gibbons has an interesting way of approaching spring training. <laughs> <laughs> he just basically like he lets people he builds helps build the schedules and forgets about them because they don't matter anymore to him. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I think he's shocked at how how much People like reporters care about what day who is doing what on what field and stuff like that. Like he's he's just so not into the details. It's like eh, I'm pretty sure Travis knows where he's supposed to be later this afternoon. And like Travis is apologizing for getting his Tuesday and his Wednesday mixed up. And Gibby's like, eh, it's whatever, you know, you do your thing. You do. It's gonna be good. <laughs> yeah. So so when I was down there. Um, I was part of these scrums. I, I mean, I didn't ever tweet or report on them because he doesn't say anything of note to me. But <laughs> so one one reporter asked, "It's like, so uh, so what's the plan? Who's throwing tomorrow?" Like, and he's like, uh, "Jay, Jay, this is Jay Stenhouse, the like the president of media. <laughs> what's up throwing?" <laughs> he doesn't know because he he doesn't need to know. He just needs to know what's going on that day. Yep, tomorrow is tomorrow. I'm sure someone's written it down for him. Um, yeah. This man has led a team into the second round, well, third round, I guess, of the playoffs, depending on how you count them, for two years running. Second. Yeah, depends how you count them. <laughs> uh, that said, we mentioned he called Josh Donaldson and Devin Travis over. So whose news do you want to cover first? I may as well do it in the order you just said them. Uh, Josh Donald, what order did I say? I was say totally him? testing your memory. You said Josh Donaldson first. JD, uh, I was thinking the order he did it in the interviews reversed. So JD is planning on being at third base in uh, a real major league spring game. Yeah, uh, by the, we're releasing this on Wednesday. And he should be playing third base today. Amazing, not unexpected, yeah. but wonderful. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, he played a he DH'd on the weekend and. Or I guess it was Monday. He, he, he took some at bats and he played a game, and that's what they wanted to see. And now he's going to play, go play the field. So there's absolutely nothing but good news there, too. Uh, Devin Travis got into a minor league game, ran around the bases, fell down, which was a huge uh, bonus. I I love spring, which training. is an odd thing to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, I forgot to get the spring standings. I feel like I've I've been remiss. So you tell me more about when Devin Travis might be actually in a major league game. Do we have that yet? Well, here's what we know with Travis, that he's going to play in the field tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this. Well, I guess you can't listen to this when I meant tomorrow. So anyway, he's going to play in the field and it's going to see how that goes. And if it goes as well as planned, there's a chance that by next week or even this weekend, he will get to play in a spring game. And if he does that, he's on the opening day roster without question. There's enough time for him to get those reps. Yeah, there is. And and if they're playing him in spring games, then they're not going to be able to backdate him. So they, it wouldn't make sense to have him play major league games if he's not going to start the season. I got to say, I, I rarely describe baseball players as cute, but Devin Travis is the cutest baseball player ever in my mind, because number one, he had Kevin Pillar filming his swing while Kevin was at the minor league game 
just like on his phone, I presume, to see <laughs> if his swing looked like his swing. Like, am I okay? Am I me? Uh, and then when talking in that scrum with, with uh, Gibbons, <laughs> he kept saying, I get to be a real baseball player. <laughs> totally sincere. Yeah, it was really funny. It's just precious. It's like, really? You, you're just basking in the glow of this job which is cool i mean I, I i like people who have genuine enthusiasm i'm i'm 100 in favor of that but yeah it's just so different from jose bautista who comes with that that you know grimacing game face so often <laughs> and that game face is back in dunedin yes after a little back stiffness yeah and also after his game. team getting knocked out of the world baseball classic yeah uh, yeah Mm. I, I had Team Dominican, and now I've got no team. I don't know who to cheer for. Not the Americans. How about that? Japan. You're going Japan? No, they're just playing the Americans as we're recording this. So. Okay, so yeah, tonight my team is Japan. <laughs> oh, man, the standings update. I should looked. I should look sooner because... Yeah, this, you failed us. We're supposed to lead off the podcast with that. Very... Uh, it's depressing. The Jays have slipped to dead last. Jays oh, are man. seven really? and fourteen. They're nine games out, and the Yankees are going to win the series crown <laughs> pretty pretty handily here. At least the uh, the regular preseason. I don't have terminology for all this, but the Yankees are a seven twenty <laughs> winning percentage team. So hang on, hang on. They're nine games out. Yeah. Two, three, four, five, six. Oh, don't tell it's me. It's doable. They can catch them. They can catch them. Oh, thank God. I was going to say, don't tell me they're already mathematically eliminated. <laughs> Gotta oh, get that grapefruit leaf crown. Uh, they're going to have to trade Liriano <laughs> for, for prospects before the end of spring training. <laughs> when is the spring training trade deadline? What What's going on with that? When do the rosters... No, wait. Rosters shrink. Uh, okay, so Francisco Liriano is still dealing. He's striking out like two guys per inning. You technically, oh, yeah, no, maybe not, not over. Yeah, so 18 strikeouts in nine and two thirds. Oh, so close. <laughs> With two walks. Wow. He's not messing around, is he? No, he's just dominating people. He gave up a massive, massive bomb to Byung-Ho Park, but Byung-Ho Park only hits massive, massive bombs. And I mean, literally, that's the only, if he hits the ball, it's a home run. That's it. He can't do anything else. But, uh. He was just dominant. He struck out eight guys in four and no, ten guys in four and two third. He was just no one could hit him. His slider was just untouchable. So I love that. Unfortunately, I remember Josh Johnson looking that like that in spring. Although Liriano does not have the problematic track record of a Josh Johnson. So I'm gonna go with Yay, Liriano. He could be this way all year long and blow us out of the water. Yeah, I and mean, here's the difference between Josh Johnson and Francisco Liriano. Johnson was just ridiculously injured all the time. It was his issue wasn't performance. It was that he kept getting hurt. Even that year, he had a terrible season because he was hurt all year. Mm-hmm. Every time Whereas Liriano from 2013 to 2015 was one of the better pitchers in the National League. He wasn't Clayton Kershaw, but he was really, really good. And he could be really, really good for these Blue Jays. I mean, spring training numbers are spring training numbers. I mean, two years ago, he had a 0.75 ERA in spring training. It's like, but it's better than the opposite, right? You know, it's nice to see a guy who's locked in as opposed to a guy who's like, oh, I'm you know, still struggling to find my release point. And uh, <laughs> he's there. <laughs> he's, he's, he knows where he's, he's uh, starting and finishing, as it were. Um, what we don't know 
is is still a few things about the roster, namely who's in left field and why and when. And... Maloney seems to want to stay healthy. I mean, <laughs> this is crazy. So Dalton Pompey. Concussion. C- concussion. It's like, uh, well, he was never going to take the job anyway. So it's like it sucks for him, obviously, but it's like he, he has time to rest up. And then Upton goes down the sore shoulder. And then Carrera goes down the collision. And it's like, well, now Bobby would have had the shot, but he's still hurt. And uh, there's nobody else out there. And Steve Pierce still can't throw from the outfield yet. So all good news, really, is what we're saying. It's, <laughs> there's it's... no left fielder on the roster right now. <laughs> Daryl Siciliani? <laughs> and there were people on Twitter going, yeah, yeah, give me Siciliani for left field. It's like, okay, I... I I seem to recall Daryl Siciliani's track record in the major leagues is, is not what you would call everyday player pedigree, but maybe my, my memory's a little fuzzy. So this is why it's so funny. So I think it was Arden Swelling. I don't, I, I don't want to say that for sure. Cause I, I can't remember exactly on the Jeff Blair show. It's like, yeah, I don't think they want to bring anyone in a, on a major league deal. They're happy with the options they have. What options? There are no left fielders on the roster that are healthy right now. How can they be happy with them? I don't know. I I just it's a weird weird quandary to find you yourself in. Uh indeed at this, you know, 2 weeks shy of opening day. But hopefully these are just aches and pains and uh and they can at least move forward with an Upton or a Carrera who can show up every day. I don't know what else That'd to say. That would be nice. Uh and then my last note is I wanted to say that camp got a little less rowdy this week. No, this is the part where you boo me. No, you don't mind the rowdy pun? You Okay, so we did an interview. He was much worse later, so I, <laughs> I'm letting this one go. <laughs> the boo this man doesn't come out until later. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, so we knew Rowdy wasn't, Rowdy Tellers wasn't going to make the team, but officially he's not going to make the team. He's back in minor league camp. So maybe next year. Yeah. Or uh, maybe later this year. Yeah. Or maybe he'll learn to play left field. It seems less likely. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that that's not ever in the plans. <laughs> we saw that once already with Colabello. I don't need to see it again. And Danny Valencia. And Adam Lind. <laughs> okay, right. You can only hide for so long in left field in the major leagues. And then, then people notice things. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to move on from our team to one of the AL East rivals. It is the final. ALE's preview of the 2017 season. We're going to talk to Danny Russell of D-Rays Bay about, guess what, the Tampa Bay Rays. We'll be right back. And we would like to welcome now, first-time guest, Danny Russell, the editor-in-chief of D-Rays Bay. Welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, Danny. Thank you, boys. How are you? I'm good. Man, we're good. Yeah. It's, uh, Let's get after it. It is. It's getting brighter out. It's getting warmer out, which, which all means that uh, you're not going to notice anything in Tampa because you're in that domed abomination of a stadium, and it doesn't really matter what it's like outside, does it? No, it's always 75 degrees and no lightning. So that, that, those are the things that you need in Tampa. Apparently, the lightning capital of the world, so they tell me. Really? So, often oh. the dome is a better protection from uh, 
from electricity than it is rain. It very rarely rains at night. Uh, so huh. it's a benefit. We've learned something. Indeed. Yes, that's why the hockey team is the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the stadium that the race play in used to be called the Thunderdome. Oh. So, oh, yeah. You never did and move they beyond that name, Thunderdome. And that was such a shame. <laughs> uh, Captain gonna... Field doesn't have the same menace that the Thunderdome has. No. <laughs> no. Uh, well, okay. We've, we've discussed stadium matters. I think uh, we probably don't want to get into the long term stadium discussion here. So. <laughs> I'll switch it up. In the short term, there's new turf. I don't know about y'all, but we do have new turf coming in this year that's supposed to be better on the knees and all that. Ooh, actually, that's kind of interesting because we went through that a couple of years ago here, and it caused all kinds of problems. Like, Buck Walter threatened to pull his players off the field one game <laughs> because there was a weird bounce. And you're going to experience that this year with the Buck Walter craziness. Mm-hmm. So just be ready for it. Apparently, it was good enough to encourage Kevin Kiermaier to sign an extension, though. So oh, we'll I'll, get to I'll that. take that as a win. Uh, okay, well, w- let's let's talk about things in the offseason. We will save Mr. Kiermaier because we, we want to start with the pitching. Um, okay. How about, we'll start with, with the unusual move of, of Tampa getting rid of a pitcher, which doesn't seem to happen very often. They, they sent Drew Smiley to Seattle. Uh, how, did that, how did that play in Tampa Bay Rays land uh, for the fans? You know, it doesn't feel like it happens all that often because the Rays consistently have uh, a lot of pitching. But it's actually pretty in line with what they do. Uh, James Shields, uh, Scott Casimir before him, David Price after Shields, uh, Jeremy Hellickson, Matt Moore, Drew Smiley. These guys, as they kind of have just a couple years left on their deal, Wade Davis, an important starter who was dealt. Um, these guys with one or two years left, the Rays say, hey, we had them for a long time. We're going to capitalize on the one or two years that they have left, and we're going to try and flip them. And if the Rays had their way last offseason, they would have flipped Alex Cobb as well. So this is something they're constantly doing. They have this stable of dudes that are ready to start, and uh, I think it was just Drew Smiley's time. Well, it's interesting because there were a few guys in the rumored in this offseason that were potentially going to go, you know, Jake Odorizzi, Cobb, who you know was coming off injury, so maybe not as likely. But now you're hearing... It's like it could be Erasmo Ramirez or Andrews. Does that get really tiring as a fan, constantly seeing these guys traded away? Or is it encouraging because you've got all this depth and now you're getting to see these the system constantly replenished? Right. Well, that's the necessary aspect of being the small market raise. So uh, I am encouraged that they're constantly looking to replenish. Uh, but it is frustrating. If you take a guy like Erasmo Ramirez, I'm convinced that he's actually made of rubber. Instead of, you know, majority water as most humans are, he can pitch on any day of the week. And even though he's been a very good starting pitcher in 2015 in the second half, it was Chris Archer, Erasmo Ramirez and nothing else. Uh, He has the capability of being an incredible starting pitcher. And I think that's why he has good trade value. But he can also just bounce back, pitch two days in a row. I'm convinced he'd pitch four days in a row if the Rays wanted him to. Um, He didn't have 100 percent success last year out of the bullpen. Um, but that's true of most relievers and he's just incredibly valuable. So I see how he has a lot of trade value, but it's really frustrating that every time one of our beat writers, uh, the, the lead beat writer, if you will, Mark Topkin, every time he mentions Erasmus Ramirez, it includes parentheses soon to be traded question mark. And (laughs) it's like, okay, you can keep beating that drum, but he's still here. And those predictions rarely work out anyway. But Ken Rosenthal tweeted about Ramirez today too. And so maybe if there's smoke, there's fire, but there's never smoke coming out of the race front office. So it's hard to know who actually spins these rumors. 
Uh, Jake Odorizzi was rumored all offseason as being someone likely to be traded. I actually have no idea where that came from. Um, He's he's not a guy who has signed a big extension with the Rays, so he will get more expensive as time goes by. So who knows? Maybe his agent is trying to drum up his uh, his value overall. I don't maybe the Cardinals did ask about Jake Odorizzi and somebody leaked from the Cardinals. I don't know. But it's not coming from Tampa Bay and Chris Archer, Odorizzi, Blake Snell. Uh, those dudes are safe. So we we also were talking about value there. And, and one of the guys who's, you know, some guys build their value and they get traded away. What about Chris Archer? Who he Where does his value stand after a, a first half that just didn't seem to look like the same pitcher? And, and then things got better for him as the season went on. Um, I think he's safe. Honestly, I think the Rays have kind of three anchors they've dropped, um, one in the infield, one in the outfield, and one in the starting rotation. Uh, in the outfield, that's Kiermaier. On the infield, that's Longoria. And in the starting rotation, that's Archer. It's a big personality. It's a great player, a great role model that they can invest and build around as a skill set. And on top of that, I think Fangraphs ran multiple articles this offseason that said, hey, look, Chris Archer is actually worth more than Chris Sale. If you were to break down all the surplus values and the way that they run that with their war projections, you can spin a lot of different ways. But because Archer has so many affordable years, he would have cost more than that huge haul the Red Sox had to give up to get two years of Chris Sale, I think it was. And uh, I don't think any other team was going to be able to meet that. No other teams can be like, here's Yo Makata and a guy who throws 107. Um, It's unreasonable. The Rays aren't going to get their full value. And who would they replace him with? It just, uh, the Rays always think they're going to be competitive. It's this lingering, uh, we're good enough kind of mindset. Um, it's not an all in, we're going for it. 2010, they didn't go all in, and I think they regret it. And that's really the only season they've ever regretted. They just kind well, of are on the periphery. Well, if they played the Jays all the time, they'd be a playoff team every year. But, uh, Hopeful. yeah, they just own us. It's awful. But, um, so, the guy that's not really the, you know, you mentioned some guys that are safe or in Chargers sure. case that are great and Snell with the potential. Then there's Alex Cobb. I mean, mm. had Tommy John surgery missed forever with his surgery, came back, wasn't throwing as hard. The splitter was slower. The everything was down and he got hit a bit Where, like, how is he looking this spring? And what is the expectation on that guy? It's hard to know exactly how he looks right now because Cobb is going out there, um, and kind of working on pitches very intentionally. He's kind of sequencing back and forth, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't think he's throwing at full strength. I think the Rays have actually been doing that with all of their starters. They're going out there and only using two pitches at a time just to be very intentional on uh, bringing their control back in. So uh, I don't know what Ox Cobb is yet. He's also been thrown on backfields. So I don't think this spring is going to be a good indicator. The Rays have been kind of sneaky with their starters. Instead of just throwing them out there, like Chris Archer kind of got thrown into the World Baseball Classic. He was good for four innings. That's great. But we don't really have a good read on anybody else. Um, but he should be valuable. I'm not bothered by a slow return from Tommy John. Uh, Matt Moore had a slow return from his Tommy John surgery and then being pretty decent the next year and then he almost threw a no hitter for the giants once he was traded so these guys you know it's par for the course to be slow to get back into things and um you know i i think the rays really wish they traded him last off season when he was recovering from tommy john and it was a big unknown because uh he's only making four million dollars this year so if you flip him at the 
all-star break. Now he's making $2 million. Maybe you can get something like a top 50 prospect. I would like to think you can even get a top 25 prospect, but I'm, you know, expecting Cobb to be Cobb. If he has a 330 ERA and he's only making 2 million bucks and he can help a contender, I think a top 50 prospect is reasonable. But before last offseason, it seemed very, very real that Alex Cobb for Javier Baez was on the table, which would have completely ruined the Cubs World Series run and would have been amazing for us. And uh, I think that shows what a forward-thinking front office thinks of Alex Cobb. Hmm. So you, you had talked about personalities and uh, the infield personality that we know is signed to a long extension was Evan Longoria, who I, I think mm. to me is the face of the Rays, the, you know, that's the first person I think of other than maybe Archer. But he's mm-hmm. he was looking in 2014 and 2015 like maybe he was sort of going to peter out. He, his power was down, although his OBP was about the same. Um, and it looked like he was getting old maybe prematurely and then he had a bit of a resurgence last year did did that did he attribute that to anything specific or what what was yeah the he got his workout back in line he got his swing back in line um he really changed the way that he built strength um he took a completely new approach last off season and i think his body uh as he was aging i think it was just a matter of figuring out okay how do i properly put on the pound so that I'm good to go all season in a consistent way. And I think that clicked for him last year. And right now uh, he seems to be doing exactly the same thing. So our expectation is uh, 2016 Longoria is real. So hopes are high. <laughs> so you're, you're looking for the 800 plus OPS guy, not the mid 700 OPS guy. There was yeah. one thing that was interesting there though. I mean, despite he had a huge increase in power I and mean, so he had a career high in home runs and slugging percentage, I think it was as high since the second year. But the OBP mm-hmm. continued to fall. Now, the strikeouts were a little higher than normal, but about in line. But the walks fell. Is that an issue? Uh, I don't know. If it's he's getting a 6% walk rate, but is also the most valuable player on the team, I think the race can depend on other guys to walk in front of him and just kind of figure it out. Um, I'm not going to look at the team's best player and say, oh, if only he walked a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> We do that all the time. Uh, only Jose Bautista <laughs> hit more singles. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, sure, sure. I mean, and, I mean, that's kind of splitting hairs, but he kind of dropped from... Okay, so he was a 10% walk player, and he was an amazing player when he was... What was it? Like, 2012, 2013, he might be walking 10%, but swinging a massive bat and is good. And now he's kind of... You know, that age curve is working against him. And so he cuts that to a 6% walk rate, but now he's hitting like he used to in terms of value, in terms of adding to the team, in terms of bringing in runs. Uh, He's got more of a power swing. He's the number three hitter anyway. So I think he's just kind of settling into being the player he will be in the second half of his career uh, as that kind of borderline maybe Hall of Famer. And I, I feel good about it. I'm okay with him being who he is, particularly when the Rays can try to surround him uh, with their developing new superstars and new guys who are going to walk 10% and swing 20% above average overall. Um, those are the people they're going to try and fit around long, an older Longoria. And I don't think it's a bad thing. No, sir. C- certainly he's still a superstar and there's no, no real questioning that. Now the other guy that signed the long-term extension, Kevin Kiermeyer. Yes. It makes a lot of sense. The guy's the best defensive outfielder in the world. I mean, he's unreal. 
Where does the outfield go, though, with this team? I mean, you got Kevin Kiermaier out there, but you got Malik Smith, Souza, Franklin, Rasmus, Dickerson. How is this all going to play out? Yeah, it's interesting right now. Um, goodness gracious, Rasmus is just one of the coolest pickups. So we have y'all's oh, yes. hitting coach. <laughs> yes. uh, Chad Matola is now in tow. And Chad Matola was the guy who made Rasmus into what he is. And uh, basically when he got, he became the hitting coordinator for the Rays. And then late last season, a month before the season ended, they said, look, we already know we're going to move on to Matola being our hitting coach. So they parted ways with their hitting coach, Jamie Nelson. Very sad for everybody. He'd been around forever. Uh, but they just kind of wanted something new. Brought Matola in. And the moment he uh, took the reins, I remember emailing around with people being like, so this means we get Rasmus now, right? <laughs> and it, uh, I'm pretty sure that came to pass. Like it was set in stone in September. And it just took a really long time to square everything away. Um, he had a crazy mess of injuries. Um, if you can find uh, a Rays Radio podcast discussing all the things that he went through in terms of vertigo and having a cyst in his ear and how he was actually bleeding like copious amounts of blood before every game and he was just kind of hiding it. Um, that sounds exactly like something Colby Rasmus would do. Like that. It, it's, it's textbook. You know, you listen to his voice and you just think, okay. I do believe that you would hide a ridiculous amount of blood pouring out of your ear. I am not surprised that you batted 200. Um, but he was also a guy who was super pissed that he, you know, didn't get a gold glove last year, even though he was injured a significant portion. And uh, so I think the race took a look at Rasmus and they said, hey, look, he could win a gold glove. We could probably use him in either corner. And, uh, you know, he did really well with his hitting coach. We can work around it. What the Rays do with Kiermaier is um, take advantage of um, skill sets that might be uh, left exposed if they were an everyday fielder without Kevin Kiermaier next to them. Kiermaier's range is so absurd. There's probably only like five guys. Uh, now, I mean, Pilar's in the conversation, so I want to give that to you guys. I actually really like Pilar. Um, he's not Kevin Kiermaier. I think uh, Kiermaier is a generational talent in the same way that Angelton Simmons is, and I just feel so fortunate to be able to even just watch him play baseball. And I don't know how many players I'll ever feel about that in my entire life. So I feel great having Kiermaier around. And we found that uh, Corey Dickerson, who's a, a heftier guy, last year in particular, he was he had like a lot of beef. Uh, he's just a thick player, not to get too awkward. Did, did he but, actually bring beef onto the field? That's what it sounds like. It sounds like he was. You're talking about him eating I, sandwiches in the... <laughs> right, right. No, he wasn't eating Ontario. sandwiches in the dugout like uh, fat, uh, <laughs> like that. What was that, Sutton, their backup goalkeeper, um, <laughs> if we want to get into the soccer world. But anyway, um, uh, bring it back to baseball. Uh, Diggerson just is uh, uh, a, a massive man, and he's a strong man, and he hits the ball real dang hard, real dang far, and he's kind of all or nothing in his swing, and I think the Rays are completely okay with that. And guys like Diggerson, also Souza, um, they're kind of built the same. They play with this reckless abandon that it always looks like they're about to hurt themselves because they'll just throw themselves at anything on the ground, into the wall, doesn't matter. And you're like, dude, please don't. We need you. And uh, so having him in left field was an awkward thing. He did shed some pounds this year because he wants to keep playing in the outfield. So we'll see what happens of that. Um, the Rays are even trying. Corey Dickerson... In the leadoff position, I'm giving you way too much context uh, because I think he's faster now. But Ooh. Corey Dickerson was an 
okay passable left fielder, particularly because he had zero arm. Sorry, 20 arm, I guess we should say. Um, it, it was a it was a dumpster fire. It was, you know, Manny Ramirez for the Rays left field kind of arm. Um, if you forgot the 17 days Manny Ramirez played for the Tampa Bay Rays. Hey, we had Ben Revere for I half a season. I was going to say, you didn't even so throw right. any shade at Ben Revere there, and you had ample opportunity. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So Corey Jason easily became one of my favorite players last year because he had that reckless abandon and he did not need to cover left center. So all of a sudden, instead of covering from the foul line to left center, he's now covering uh, all of foul territory and then, you know, approaching left center because Kevin Kiermaier covers that no man's land. So all of a sudden, the Rays outfield is able to cover a lot more space. I think that's what the question you needed answered was. Um, he just allows the race to kind of uh, deploy other outfielders differently. What will it look like having Rasmus, Souza, and Dickerson around? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure what the platoons are going to be um, or if that's something they're really interested in doing. We're not even sure if Rasmus can make opening day. Um, Souza and Dickerson are the kind of guys who do get hurt. And as far as the backup guys, it's just kind of riffraff. Um, I'm, I've, and over here, I'm the riffraff. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to make a, a lot of noise about Nick Franklin's ability to play right field in a pinch. <laughs> um, I mean, may, maybe he does something nice, and I'll be uh, pleasantly surprised. It's not a, a knock on him, but I think uh, the meaningful contributions will come from Rasmus, Souza, Dickerson, and it'll just be interesting to see how it all uh, shakes out. And, hey, we talked about trading Drew Smiley earlier. Uh, one of the guys they got back yeah. was Malik Smith. That is correct. Amundo. He would be a center fielder, but I think they see him as a, um, you know, kind of a Rasmus light, if you will, that kind of guy who probably could win a gold glove in an outfield corner. Desmond Jennings. Oh my gosh. If he could have only been healthy in Tampa Bay, um, he had just an absurd level of defense that, uh, you know, Joe Madden, when he was the manager, he used to say that uh, Desmond Jennings is not the second Carl Crawford. He's the first Desmond Jennings. And <laughs> I'm really sad that we never got to consistently keep Desmond Jennings in left field where he could have just gotten all the accolades as a center fielder overachieving in left field. But knee injuries and switching around positions, he just never got the spotlight like he should have. And, you know, if you run the stat cast data and all that kind of stuff, it'll be like Desmond Jennings in 10% of the plate or not plate appearances, I guess, uh, reps in the outfield. Um, you know, he was up there with the best of them. So I am way off track. Yeah, you're I'm all the so way. Sorry. You're all the way out in left field, literally in left field. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. So okay. can we boom Here's Greg I, for a second for that you, one? You boom me every podcast. Why not? <laughs> why not now? It, the Rays yeah, just are... rein me back in like Kevin Kiermaier reins in fly balls to the warning track. That's just uh... <laughs> wow. We're we're doing well here, guys. <laughs> There'll be a poet who comes on this podcast eventually. So, the, if you the... want poetry, we need to talk about Kiermaier's eyes. Have you seen him? Oh my God! Are you th okay? No, I'm reining <laughs> you back in. So the Rays are <laughs> okay, 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 undeniably okay. the black sheep of this division. Not to say that they're bad, but they do things differently <laughs> than everybody else. Um, so what, what does that add up to at the end of the season? So I ask you what I ask all of our, our AL East preview folks, how many, uh, what position do they finish in, in this division? And how many mm. wins do they do it with? Do you think with this incarnation of the Tampa Bay Rays? 
Right. I think, uh, as usual, the AL East will be a free-for-all. I think that um, predicating on a healthy season from Kevin Kiermeyer, 87 wins is reasonable. And that's second or third in the division, depending on how things shake out. I don't think they win at all, but I do think they do better than 85 wins. I'm going to say 87 and be happy about that. Um, Bold. And I, I predicate that on Kiermaier being healthy because the Rays went into a death spiral uh, in the middle of the season. Uh, they lost 24 of 27 games, I think it was. And that was also the same stretch of time that Kevin Kiermaier injured his wrist. Coincidence? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think not. You know, all of a sudden, the entire approach to the starting rotation and particularly the relievers is thrown for a loop. They lose confidence when uh, Mikey Matuk or whoever is playing center field and you're not ready to fill that void. Uh, because how do, you, how do you take a step down from the best defender in baseball to somebody from the minors, it's really hard to be comfortable. Now, if you go from Kiermaier to Malik Smith, who maybe doesn't have the bat, but you know has the majority of the defense, now it kind of makes more sense why the Rays would uh, intentionally pursue Malik Smith all offseason, um, to the point that it took Jerry DePoto to make it happen. But <laughs> um, I think 87 is reasonable. And you know, we briefly talked about Matt Andresi. I think is going to be the fifth starter. It could be uh, an injury reclamation project like Chase Whitley, uh, Jose De Leon, who the Rays acquired from the Dodgers and who just put up a good performance for Puerto Rico. He um, is going to spend a little bit of time in the minors, as is Malik Smith, because both those guys, uh, you want to talk about being the black sheep, uh, the Rays never promote guys right away unless they sign a contract extension. Because that extra month in the minors gives you an extra year of control. Right. And, and we probably should leave it there before we get into the yeah. vagaries of the CBA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Malik Smith is coming eventually. Jose De Leon is coming eventually. Um, and the raised glut of prospects is uh, now reaching AAA. All right. So I think, uh, I think this is a transition year, a one more transition um, but I think they'll be competitive enough to make noise. So we'll see uh, if it all falls apart. Uh, we didn't even talk about the bullpen where everybody's hurt. But uh, if it all falls apart, you know, we sell Alex Cobb and maybe a piece or two more. And uh, we start promoting prospects and get ready for next year. But I think it could work. All right. Sounds good. So we, uh, we might touch base with you during the season because apparently we play you guys 19 times. Much On artificial much. turf. Yeah, much much to my uh, my chagrin. All right, thank you for joining us, uh, Danny. Can we find you on Twitter? Yeah, uh, D Russ D underscore R U S S. Sounds good. Give uh, Danny a follow if you want to keep up with the Rays, our arch nemesis slash I don't know whatever you want to call it on artificial terms. Yes, you are my hated rival. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs> All right. Thanks, boys. All right. Yeah. Thanks again to Danny Russell for dropping by and telling us everything we ever wanted to know about the Tampa Bay Rays. So 
Can I say that I'd really like for the Jays to be in a transition year and on pace to 87 wins? Because that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm not sure that those two things really... I don't know. In my mind, those two things don't don't really go together. I understand they have although, an, an endless well of talent. Although it's funny thing, you you actually could say that about these Blue Jays that like this could be a transition year if the things don't go as planned. But I'm still predicting 87 wins. <laughs> uh, it's such a confusing division. I don't yeah, see them in second. The I do worst. not see the Rays in second. I really don't. Not with, not between the Jays, Boston, and the Orioles. Um, I can see the Rays passing the Orioles, but I, I don't think they're as good as the Jays and. And Boston, but you know he sees them more than us, so it's like everyone has their own views of their own team, right? But I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't really see that happening. All Still, right. it's, you know, a lot of good info. Absolutely, absolutely. Moving on to the questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules: first, I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? And we have a lot of them, as usual. My favorite part of this uh, process is reading over the questions and deciding who's just trolling and who actually wants a real answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we will start with our good friend Brian, uh, big underscore B underscore SR. Who do you think has the worst group of pitchers in the majors? Now, he did qualify that after we, we asked him to narrow it down to starting rotations. So what, what do you have for the worst starting rotation in the majors oh, it's tough i mean this to me it's between the reds and the the padres i mean the reds opening day starter is scott feldman <laughs> there's so, like a whole I mean, meme a there isn't there <laughs> well, i mean their fifth starter listed on their espn depth chart is a guy who's injured <laughs> so um i don't know about that one but on the but flip side say, on yeah, the flip san side, diego i mean they yeah. have Jared Weaver as their number two starter. <laughs> I mean, this team is really bad. He he he's going to throw underhand this year, so he upticks the velocity a little bit. Is that the? Is that the? the <laughs> like, the, so there's a fun stat that uh, Darren Woolman put out. He's a Statcast guy, and during the WC, WBC game between Puerto Rico and uh, the Netherlands, Edwin Diaz was throwing an intentional walk. And he threw a pitch faster, an intentional walk that was faster than any pitch Jared Weaver threw last year. <coughs> I read that and I thought, is it really the same sport at that point? Also, <laughs> how how does Jared Weaver get anybody out? Like, well, you... he didn't get many people out last year, but uh, yeah, he just like crazy angles because he's got that really over, across his body delivery and just really good command i guess I, I why how did mark burley get people out how did jamie i i jamie moore i just i don't get it, it <laughs> dan heron might make a comeback at this rate and it might be for the padres you never know because <laughs> he threw 88 apparently according to his twitter handle uh brian had a follow-up so to make greg feel better i forgot the jays signed jose tabata till like yesterday do you feel better now well i didn't feel bad in the first place I you should have like say. Uh, and second of all, <laughs> I also forgot that they signed Jose Tabata. 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 My bad. I also forgot they so signed Jose Tabata. Everybody did. <laughs> like it was, a, you know, it was kind of a neat signing when they did. It's like, hey, this guy had promised once, and but I mean, he's what seventh on the outfield depth chart? Well, I guess maybe he's like second now. <laughs> Who knows? 
there you go. Maybe that's your left field option, the secret one. Uh, okay. Next question. So this one comes from Connor Moore at the Seahound. What percentage chance do you give to each of these players for being honored in the level of excellence? Encarnacion. To the one at a time. Oh, Encarnacion. Uh, I think he's about 50-50. Yeah, that may be high for me. Donaldson? I'm going to reserve judgment until Donaldson finishes his tenure in Toronto. Whenever that is. I think he's done enough now that he'd probably get serious consideration. But And then Bautista is a 100% lock, right? Yes. <laughs> Now, we, we, there's no way he's not up there yeah I, I don't there's so many things Jose Bautista could do upon leaving Toronto and by the, the whatever four or five year period that of cooling off that tends to go on before we see a name up there before that happens uh, Jose Bautista all will be forgiven and he will be up there because he will be either the greatest Blue Jay of all time or the next greatest Blue Jay of all time depending on how you picture and or consider these things yeah he'll be in the conversation for the greatest player ever to wear the uniform and considering george bell is on the level of excellence yeah well he's just gonna be there <laughs> uh so uh uncle tucker who looks to be a, a raptors player it's pj tucker there you go um at primo pasta underscore it's so it's the, good. It's the Twitter account that they're all sharing. We've already established yeah. this. It's so good to see that they did make it this week, though. I thought. Oh, I skimmed the questions, and I didn't recognize the name right away. And then I, I, I looked at the, the pictures, and I realized we're, we're good to go. Um, why does it seem like all of the MLB media quickly choose the Red Sox as the best rotation, ignoring what the Jays rotation did last year? Well, and then the second tweet, while I agree that the Red Sox are the best team in the East, I think they're in for some pitching and offensive regression. So do you want to tackle part one first? About the well, I mean, I think that the easiest answer to part one is the fact they won ninety was it ninety five games, ninety six games last year, and then they added Chris Sale. <laughs> you know, um, they lost David Ortiz, and you know, they're, they're, you're you're right that there's probably going to be some regression, and now David Price is going to pitch until May, but still, I mean, they're they finished well ahead of Toronto and Baltimore last year, so it's hard not to consider them the favorite, even though I do think that. The teams are closer than they might appear on the public eye. Well, I, th I think that the Red Sox rotation is judged as the best rotation because you have the 2013 American League Cy Young Award winner, the 2016 American League Cy Young Award winner, and Chris Sale. Who... Yeah, actually, sorry, I misread the question. Yeah, I was thinking best team. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's exactly it. It's like they had those guys, and then they have Drew Pomerantz, who was an all-star last year, and then Stephen Wright, who was somehow good as a knuckleballer. But yeah. I don't think that they're a better rotation now with David Price out. I, I think the idea that the Red Sox will regress is is true. They, they, they're not all going to have Cy Young seasons, even obviously David Price can't have one because he's going to be missing uh, a big chunk of it. Um, but to think that the Blue Jays won't regress, one of them or two of them won't regress, is, is also kind of myopic. It's like... But, but I mean, there's also going to be positive regression for the Blue Jays pitchers too, right? I mean, Marcus Stroman's not going to have a four and a half ERA again. One one would think not. I I just don't. I, I think it's it's kind of little rose colored glasses to think the Blue Jays rotation overall is just going to somehow manage to average out and duplicate what they did last year. I I think that yeah, could happen. I, I just don't think that's the necessarily the likeliest outcome. Although I do, if you were to ask me to predict it, I would say that the negative and positive regression would probably cancel each other out because I think Strowman will be quite good, 
And I think Sanchez will take a step back and Hap will take a step back. But I think Liriano and Estrada will be better than Estrada and Dickey. Just, yeah. Sorry, so, I just remembered uh, R.A. Dickey was in the rotation last year. And it's just, wah. <laughs> yeah, so I think the Blue rotation could be at least as good as last year. I don't think it's going to be better. Fair. It's hard like to be I better said, than leading the league in the R.A. in innings. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... And, and that also makes that really killer assumption about health that I think is probably the biggest thing about any rotation, right? Is does it yeah, have I mean, the, the Jays have no something? depth. Yeah, Although, got... on news, we should have mentioned this before, Matt Latos has said that he will willing, he will be, uh, uh, screw that up, he is willing <laughs> Pretty to excited. go to AAA if they ask him to. Josh, Josh can't hold his Latos. <laughs> oh, God, Greg. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> you got really <laughs> stoked about that. That's just funny. Uh, no, I was trying to say he will be willing, and I just, it <laughs> wasn't coming. Uh, so, yeah, we, we may have a sixth man to go to. Uh, okay, so from BK at Brendan Kuhn, place a percentage on the likelihood that Pierce out uh, FWAR's EE in 2017, as in is more valuable by a, a wins above replacement measure than E. I think it's very unlikely. <laughs> I, I like Steve Pierce, and I think he's a good player, but I think he's going to end up getting more plate appearances, plate appearances at first base. And in doing that, he's got to hit a ton to out wins above replacement Edwin. But Edwin may end up seeing a lot of time at DH, right? Which is even harder to to climb that FWAR ladder. I think he's going to split it with Santana, though. I think it's probably going to be 50-50 like they did with Napoli last year. Mm. Well, in that case, I, I put the likelihood much lower. We'll give him, uh, what, 15% chance? Yeah, well, and I'm going to get a little higher, like 20 25%, 20%, just in case he does play a lot of left field or building a third or second. Because like, he had a 4.9 Fangraphs war in 102 games in 2014. But fluky like he's never been over three otherwise never been over two yeah we still like edwin i think that's what it comes down to even, yeah even though he's left we, we can't throw him under the bus so Next. this is a somewhat confusing question from skeeter at spez baby how long until ryan vogel song is a blue jay i assume it's starting death is that is that our the reason well he we got want? released by the twins so i mean th there is some timing thing by it but I mean, I, I can't, I don't think he's probably a guy that Jays are going to go after. So your, 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 how long is like a year? No, my, <laughs> how long is forever. forever. <laughs> what, whatever increment of time is an eon. Um, it ain't going to happen. Uh, I don't know. I, is he a take a flyer guy like Latos? I mean, maybe, but I mean, the difference between Latos and Vogelsong is that Latos, you're hoping he gets back to the star level that he had. Vogelsong fluked two good seasons and has been awful for the rest of his career. Mm. True that. And he's also 39, whereas Latos is 29. Uh, yeah, that's probably a factor. Uh, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the never stand. I won't make any other guesses. Last question. Lauren Simmons at Lauren Dorfin. Uh, what does Gibby have to do to change, improve, to quote, earn, unquote, the extension, in our view? 
you want to go first? Yeah, nothing. Doesn't have to do anything at all um, differently than he does. I, I really do believe that I, I, I never saw him get specifically outmanaged in the playoffs. I've seen him outmanaged here and again with micro splits that he's fooled by and certain platoon things that he wonders about and maybe not understanding what he has in the bullpen from time to time with all the moving parts. Once he gets it settled, he's he, he knows what he wants to do, but he still makes, you know, Jason Grilly versus left-handers kind of thing mistakes. But overall, if you get a team to the playoffs back-to-back years, what happens in the playoffs, I don't think you can be held responsible for a team not hitting for three or four games. I, th- I don't think that's... I don't think that was the question here either. I mean, it's also, you can't just say, like, Gibby got them there. I mean, the year before that, they just destroyed everybody yeah. as hitters i don't think that was any managing skill by john gibbons no no i'm not saying that i'm just saying he doesn't yeah. need to do anything differently i don't think he needs to prove that he was worth an extension yeah we also don't know how much money he's getting in the extension but it would be nice to see him improve on those things you just talked about though i mean at some point you have to realize that certain guys just don't work in certain roles right you would think but jim leland is still filling out lineups for team usa that don't make any sense yeah, but there's a reason he's not doing it for any major league team. I mean, you know, major league managers are not going to go work in the WBC. So it's only guys who can't get big league jobs or are retired that will do it. He felt out those same lineups for the Tigers for years. Anyway. Yeah. But I think this is actually gets back to the overall conversation about managers and how much of their job is stuff that we don't see. And I think it's a lot. I think that the actual day-to-day in-game stuff is a fraction of the manager's job. You're probably right. But I still don't so think anyway, he needs to do any more of that. Well, but, that I mean, but that's why, though. I, mean, I think that's the answer. It's like the stuff that I think is the biggest part of the manager's job, which we don't know about, is what he apparently seems to do very well. So I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just going to a little more depth. All righty. That concludes the listener question portion of our program. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we had. And now, thank you for the questions. Yeah, always. We are actually running longer than usual, but we did have one more topic we wanted to cover. So I think this is sort of going to blend as our final thought because we we had a lot in the World Baseball Classic about how emotional and demonstrative the players have been, especially for Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and the Netherlands. Um, you know, pimping home runs, uh, getting excited on, on the base paths, on the mound, on, you know, pumping fists when you throw a runner out, uh, all that kind of stuff. So... What's your feeling about what we're watching in the WBC? Well, it's, it's really entertaining. And it's really nice to see the people like so pumped up. And I, I, it's all fun. You can't do it in the regular season or just because it's like a 162 game slog. If you're all that amped up for a two run single when you're when it's a three to one game in you know, May 5th, you're going to be worn out by <laughs> June 6th. You know, <laughs> you're going to be done emotionally. But it's fun. It's really enjoyable to see it in this kind of tournament. And I'd love to see that kind of stuff in, you know, in the pennant races and in the playoffs, just like that kind of excitement. You do a little bit, but even more so. I think that's something that's going to get kind of, uh, I don't know if it's going to get rolled over or, or, or lost. It is that, you know, in a short tournament, I would expect everyone to be more excited for everything that happens because there's lots of do or die situations that come up. And they can happen in the third inning. And that's fine because th- those runs might be the only runs you score. But yeah, you, I haven't, I, I've seen a lot of people just 
unabashedly endorse it. And it's like, yeah, but how, you're right. Exactly that. How do you do that in May and then still have the same desire to do it in June and then July and then August? Like, you can't do it. And I think if that's what you want out of baseball, probably you should move to a different sport, like maybe, I don't know, basketball or something where, you know, you can dunk on a guy and you can get that kind of big, big rush. Um, the other thing I thought was funny was that it actually did cost the Netherlands, didn't it? <laughs> Some of that, that getting pumped up. Um, who was it who got thrown out at first base the other night? Got picked off. I actually didn't see the first inning, so I can't answer that for you. So he was trying to, I can't remember who it was. Not, Name has left this me. But he's trying to pump up the dugout. He's three steps off of first base, and he's gesturing for the dugout to, to, to clap for him and to cheer for him, and he's, he's laughing because he just got the single. Of course, you can't do that because Molina was watching and fired the baseball down while he's still, all of his attention is not on the field. So I thought it was funny that, you know, right in the midst of all this oh this is absolutely great it's like yeah it's also can be really really boneheaded <laughs> if you get carried i didn't away see that oh wow that's really bad i just thought they got picked off i didn't know the guy picked off because he was celebrating off the base yeah yeah you got to go see it because he's like yeah 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 and you're like no 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 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's even worse than a toot bland right it's uh, it's it's a strange strange thing but i'm all for uh having fun absolutely i'm not the fun police here i'm not saying that but yeah one of the things that people said over and over again about bat flips and and fist pumps in the playoffs is this is the playoffs if you don't do it now are you are you dead inside (laughs) like this is the time you don't get to be in the playoffs very often yeah do we have (laughs) do we have a score in that wbc game in the one with Japan? Japan. Yeah, is Japan winning? No, it's one nothing USA in the oh. one. <laughs> well, I was hoping to leave on a positive note for me. All of our American fans are like, hey. <laughs> what are you saying? Oh, my goodness. So, uh, I guess I should cover the usual stuff. Which is mm-hmm. to say that we have a Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash turfpod. If you would like to help us make the podcast better possibly even more entertaining than it is. I know, hard to believe. Uh, You can go over there and see what different bonuses the different donation levels can get you and uh, can can get for us to make the podcast better. And on that note, I would have to say that uh, you were Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and our guest was Danny Russell at D underscore Russ. And this was the Artificial Turf Wars podcast number 49. We will see you next week.